Well, man, I uh, am really excited, and I'm not just saying that. I am so excited to be talking to all of you today about just that, this this party that God has himself has invited every single one of you, no matter where you find yourself today on this whole faith journey, to be a part of. Because the truth is, is that God really is this incredibly generous host who so desperately wants every single one of you to experience the joy and the freedom that comes along with living a truly generous life. We're gonna come back to that here in, in just a minute, but, but real quick, uh, before we kind of go any farther, I wanna kind of get us caught up to speed with everything that we've been talking about so far in this series titled, What's Next? Uh, I, I got a lot to cover this morning, so I'm gonna go pretty quick here, but here's kind of the series in a nutshell. Uh, if you were honest, and you probably wouldn't want to admit to this, chances are you probably don't have much of a game plan as it relates to your faith. You probably haven't given a lot of thought to the plan as it relates to your spirituality. For, for whatever reason, we as human beings, we just kind of leave that up to chance. Or, or we hope that maybe showing up here every once in a while is somehow going to do like the spiritual trick. And, and spoiler alert, if you are relying on this one hour each Sunday to somehow sustain your spiritual life, it is going to fall woefully short. And so as we head into this new year, as we head into 2020, we, we want to challenge all of you, new to faith or been at this church thing your entire life, we want to challenge all of you to come up with a plan, to actually give this a little bit of thought, because if you don't, what comes naturally to you is eventually just going to take over. And if you haven't already figured this out about yourself, you, you soon will. What, what comes naturally to you is rarely what is best for you. And that's not just a faith thing, that that's literally an every part of life thing. We see this in finances. We see this in our relationships. We see this in how we spend our free time. Our natural inclinations very, very rarely lead us in the best and the healthiest directions. And so if you just leave your spirituality, if you just leave your faith to chance, you're going to find yourself drifting further and further and further away from God. And so in this series, we're specifically addressing the Grumlaw Seven, the, the seven disciplines that we are hoping, that we are praying, will eventually be a part of every single one of your lives. Uh, the Grumlaw Seven are, just in case you need to recap, are weekends, baptism, daily encounter, generosity, groups, serve, and share. No, we did not invent these things. We are not that arrogant. We just tried to put some easy-to-understand language around them. We're trying to, in fact, make your spiritual plan really, really easy on you. And so over the seven weeks of this series, we're dissecting each of these seven disciplines, and hopefully you all won't just be a bunch of listeners. You'll actually be a bunch of doers. You'll implement one, two. Eventually, all of these disciplines will just become a part of your life. And you can guarantee that as you make these disciplines just a routine, a part of your life, you will begin to experience a closeness to God that you have never felt before. Because one of the incredible promises that God gives us is that as we move closer to him, he is so faithful, he, he will always, always move closer to you. And so, so far in this series, we've talked about groups, or as we call them around here, connect groups. We've talked about baptism. Last week, Jason did a brilliant job breaking down daily encounter and the importance of spending daily quiet time with Jesus. He challenged all of you to download that Read Scripture app. Hopefully, you guys, it's only like a weekend. Hopefully, you haven't fallen off yet. If not, it's not too late to catch yourselves back up. But again, Read Scripture, it's an incredible app. If you work through that thing every single day, you'll go through the Bible in a year. But if you've missed any week of this series, we hope that you will go to grumlaw.com slash message 
messages and catch yourself up there. You can listen to the messages there. You can watch the messages there, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you grab your podcast. This is one of those few things that we actually can track. We see that month over month, we, there's more people watching, there's more people listening, and that's really encouraging because that means that you all are making that a part of your rhythm. On those Sundays that you're not able to be here, you're jumping online and you're making sure that you're catching up, so good job. Definitely keep that going. Now, uh, today, as, as we move on here into part four of this series, I, I want to talk about something that, again, it really does get me super excited. Uh, it's one of these things that I am constantly bragging on this church for. So, see, one of the questions that I get consistently asked as your pastor, uh, in particular as the pastor of a new church, is, is this right here. How's it going? People ask me this question constantly. How's it going? Other pastors ask me this question. Uh, my in-laws ask me this question. Friends ask me this question. No joke, it is very, very rare that a 24-hour period goes by where somebody does not ask me the question, how's it going? But I gotta be honest, it's kind of a difficult question to answer because I never really know what people are talking about because it's so incredibly broad. I, I don't know if they're trying to check in on how I'm doing personally, on, on how the family's doing. I don't know if they were, they're after, like, how is the, the kids program going? How is the music going? I, I don't know if they want to know how many people are showing up here on a Sunday now. Most of the time, actually, I'm pretty convinced that's what they're after. But, but I want to tell you all what I almost exclusively lead with. When this question is posed to me, almost 100% of the time, this is the direction that I go in, and it also happens to be this discipline that we're talking about this morning. I almost always lead with generosity. I love, love, love to brag about the generosity of this church. That, that might have actually been the last thing that they were alluding to. In fact, sometimes I know what they actually want to know, and I'm like, tough luck. It's a captive audience. You're going to have to at least listen and hear about the generosity of this church first. I tell them about the medical debt that was paid off just last month. I tell them about the local generosity that goes to rent and utility assistance. I tell them about the border station that we sponsor between Nepal and India, which every single day, because of your generosity, saves between two and 10 women from being human trafficked. I love to tell them about all the money that goes towards starting more churches. I tell them about the Christmas gifts that go to underprivileged kids right here in Genesee County. I tell them about the 48 children that were sponsored through Compassion International this past Mother's Day. Just in one day, we saw 48 kids get sponsored. I could go on and on and on. Maybe I'm a weirdo, but I love talking about it. It energizes me, it brings me life to speak about the generosity of this church. And I think maybe part of the reason, if I'm being kind of honest with all you this morning, is I love to see the often confused and bewildered looks on people's faces when I tell them just how much we have given away. See, in the relatively short existence of this church, uh, we've given away $222,239.64. That's awesome, right? And I'm glad that all of you clap for that uh, because that's not usually the reaction that I get from most people. See, other pastors and friends and ministry leaders, when I share that figure, for the most part, they look at me like I have completely lost my mind. In fact, even more than that, I know what they're thinking. They're thinking, you're a liar. We don't know why you're lying to us right now. We don't know why you would lie about that number, but you don't think that there's a chance that you've actually given away that much money. And I love, and I'm not just saying this, it brings me so much joy, it brings me so much happiness that I get to be a part of an organization, that I get to lead an organization where generosity has been a priority, perhaps it's been the priority since day number one. And that for so many of you, like me, this has actually just become normal. That this open-handed type of living has just become a part of who you are. 
It's, it's this natural outpouring of gratitude in response to what Jesus has done for you. Now, now, one of the things that this church, and when I say church, I'm not talking about a building, I'm talking about this community of people. Well, one of the things that this community of people has shown a particular propensity towards is what I like to call giving 1.0. It's giving directly to help immediately. You, you see a need and you wanna meet that need. A very clear need is presented to you and you respond. We, we tell you that again, Christmas gifts need to be bought for underprivileged kids right here in Genesee County. You all go flooding out into the lobby. There's all these tags on trees and literally in like one Sunday, just about every single one of them is gone. And in the coming weeks, we see that lobby flooded with Christmas gifts. In a lot of cases, nicer gifts than you're gonna even give your own kids. We tell you that a local school needs a bunch of water because their water isn't safe for drinking. You literally fill up a bus with water. We tell you that a local clothing pantry is running out of clothes and we don't want you to just bring old, nasty, junky stuff that you gave up on. We want you to bring new clothes with like tags on it and you all showed up to the point where they're like, okay, we don't really even know what we are going to do with all of this clothing. We tell you again that 48 kids need to be sponsored through Compassion International and every single child ends up getting sponsored. Now, if I'm being honest, this type of giving, it's not really even unique to Christianity. It's actually sort of more of an American first world type philosophy. For, for instance, we see this when like natural disasters strike, whether it's domestically right here in the United States or internationally, whether it's an earthquake or a tsunami or a hurricane, people lose everything in an instant. The Red Cross runs like one commercial and literally in minutes, millions of dollars come pouring in. In some cases, in a matter of hours, billions of dollars come pouring in. And you better believe that not every one of those dollars came from people that call themselves Christians. We, we, we see this when those really pitiful, depressing looking pets come across the screen and Sarah McLaughlin's, you know, singing in the background, in the arms of, you know, like that whole thing. And what are you doing? You start writing a check. You're like, I don't even like dogs. I don't even like pets. But man, there's just like, it's glaring. It's right in front of me. This is how most Americans give directly to help an immediate need where they say, this is where my dollars are going. This is the problem that my dollars are helping to solve. And by the way, we should give this way. This is an absolutely a good thing. This is so needed in our world. But, but you guys, this type of giving is not what allows us to be extraordinarily generous in this community and around the world. This type of giving isn't gonna allow us to continue to be known and marked first by our generosity as a church. No, 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 what allows us and, and, and affords us to be a truly generous church are the people that have moved to giving 2.0. See, giving 2.0 people that they're planned givers, that they're percentage givers, that they are priority givers. See, it's not just spontaneous. They don't rely on something to kind of emotionally stir them up. No, they sit down and they actually come up with a plan. In most cases, they are percentage givers, where as a couple or as an individual, they sit down usually on an annual basis and they say, this is the percentage of our income that we are gonna give away during this next calendar year. They're priority givers, meaning that the very first thing that they do when they get paid is they give a percentage away. They're saying symbolically, God, whatever comes my way first, I am going to give it back to you. It's in a lot of ways because of this type of giving that we see here, giving 2.0 
that it almost is laughable that we continue to take up an offering here on Sunday mornings. Because the vast majority of you that do give here at Grumla, you've just moved to like recurring online giving. Uh, there are certain Sundays, and I don't say this, by the way, to guilt anybody into anything. And in fact, what I'm about to say right here, you'll actually see is actually a good thing. But there are literally Sunday mornings here where we don't break $1,000 received on a Sunday. Now, I'm not trying to undermine $1,000, but there's on average right now about 450, 500 people showing up here on a Sunday. It's not exactly like a high percentage, but I've actually moved to a place where this is a good thing. It used to stress me out. I used to be like, oh my goodness, like is this place gonna be able to stay afloat? But so many of you have moved to giving 2.0, where it's online, it's recurring, it's just a part of who you are. And it's those of you that have made the move to giving 2.0 that allow us to even exist as a church. You guys, if we relied solely on the 1.0 givers, we would not have made it out of the first three months. We, we would not exist as a church. It's the 2.0 givers that, that you make it possible for us to even be sitting in this room right now. You make connect groups possible. You, you make that noise that goes on on the other side of that wall that sometimes can be a little annoying. You make Grumlaw Kids possible. You make our student ministries on Sunday evenings possible. You make the staff possible. You make all of this a reality because you are a planned giver. You're the reason that we get to do this week in and week out and then still have this opportunity to give hundreds of thousands of dollars away. And I don't tell you 2.0 givers this nearly enough, but thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You make all of this a reality. But I also want to peel the curtain back a little bit this morning and let you all in on something that weighs quite heavy on my heart. And if you feel guilty by anything that I say from this point forward, you shouldn't because I'm telling you, this is an area that I absolutely feel responsibility for and that I haven't done a good enough job communicating on, teaching on, casting vision for. See, only 25% of you have a plan for how you plan to support your local church financially. Only a quarter of the adults that show up here that are sitting in this room right now give on a regular basis, are participating in regular, planned, percentage, consistent giving. Now, I can put a positive spin on this, actually. Uh, it's better than the average. What they see across the churches in North America is like a 20, 80, you know, 18% give, usually somewhere in that neighborhood. So you are better. It's not a lot better, but it is a little bit better. And the reason that I feel that I've dropped the ball in this area, it's not because we can't pay our bills. It's not because every month I'm going, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And I'm just stressed out in my office thinking about money going, oh my gosh, if somebody doesn't give another hundred bucks, we're going to have to close up shop. It's not because we're regularly having to let go of staff to make ends meet. It's not any of that. In fact, as you're going to soon see here in just a moment, this literally has nothing to do with the church needing your money. No, no, the reason that this weighs so heavy on my heart as your pastor is because financial stewardship to a local church is part of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, now one of the things that you perhaps have caught on to around here, especially if you've been showing up here for any period of time, is that very rarely do I use the term Christian. I instead opt to, and intentionally, mind you, use the term Jesus follower, and, and here's why. Being a Christian is often limited to something that you believe. But, but being a Jesus follower is connected with something that you do. 
And Jesus' followers are so invested in what Jesus is doing in the world that they will willingly fund what Jesus is doing in the world through the local church. And if I can press in a little bit, and by the way, if you don't believe me on this stuff, you think that it's like, wow, this guy just came out like guns ablazing this morning. You should go read what Jesus has to say about it. Go read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read what Jesus teaches on money, but I gotta warn you, I'm gonna give you a heads up, beware. Jesus is a whole lot harsher than I am about to be. You cannot be fully submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He ain't your boss. He is not your Lord and not support his work with the resources that he has provided to you. You can be a Christian. You can believe he sent his one, his only son. You can believe that he hears your prayers. You can believe until you are blue in the face, but you are not submitted to the lordship of Christ if certain do things are not a part of your lifestyle. Because remember, we have not been called to be Jesus believers. We have been called to be Jesus followers. Or I could say it this way, what, what I do with my money is evidence of what is most important to me. And that's not a Christian thing. That's just a, literally an, an everyone thing. If you want to find out what's most important to me, shape, risk, you should crack open my bank account. You should see where my money consistently goes. One of the things that, that I'm passionate about, in fact, I, I kind of joke around with like friends and my wife. I'm like, if God ever tells me that I can't be a pastor anymore, and I don't think that's ever going to happen, I certainly hope it doesn't ever happen, I'll be a financial coach. I, I love coaching people through their finances. Before I was a pastor, I had a lot more free time that I could do this. I have to say no more than I say yes now. But one of the very first exercises that I do when I'm coaching a couple financially or I'm coaching an individual financially is we go back and we track where you spent every penny for a three-month period. I mean, literally every nickel, savings accounts, checkings accounts, debit cards, credit cards, and we track it for three months and we categorize all of it, groceries, restaurants, gas, we put everything into a category. And then we just kind of take a step back and we see what the money tells us. So, so you can tell me that going out to eat isn't that important to you, but when we see that you have spent $4,000 over a three-month period of time on going out to eat, and I've seen it, I think going out to eat to you is important. You can tell me that you're not materialistic and that people, you know, you don't really care what people think of you. But again, when we can track that over a three-month period of time, you spent $1,800 on clothing, then I think you're maybe a little bit materialistic. The money does not lie. It always reveals what is most important. Now, Jesus knew this. He knew your money would reveal what you value the most. And so he makes this statement, and probably most of you have actually heard this before. And by the way, this isn't one of those things that you have to believe in Jesus for this to be true. This is just true. He says, for where your treasure is, and subsequently, where your treasure is not, where you spend your money, what you invest in, where you allocate your financial resources. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Be a little introspective. Where is your treasure? Where is your money? Now, that can be a little bit of a convicting, a, a prying question. And, and for me, and I'm not telling you you've got to live this way, but, but for me, I never want to have to hide behind that question. My, my wife and I, we try to spend our money, we try to live our lives in such a way that if all of our financial resources were made public to this church, we wouldn't have anything to hide behind. We wouldn't be going, oh my gosh, I hope they skip by that one line and they don't see that we keep spending money on that. It's in fact a great rule of thumb for any of us to live by. He says that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
As your money goes, so goes your loyalty. So reveals your loyalty. Jesus knew that what you do with your money would reveal what is most important to you. Now, by the way, and I probably should have said this at the beginning of the talk, you're pretty much off the hook for everything that I'm talking about this morning if you're not a Jesus follower. In fact, after today, you might look at yourself and say, I ain't ever following Jesus. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, this is absolutely one of those areas that you should be pointing the finger at Christians for. We, we can be such hypocrites in this area. You, you can't be a Jesus follower and choose to not submit your financial resources to whom you claim to be your king, to whom you claim to be your Lord, your savior. You're kidding yourself. What you do with your money is evidence of what is most important to you. Jesus is communicating and trying to tell to all of us that, that following him is not some internal private thing. Following Jesus is a do thing. And you do these things because you have truly surrendered every part of your life to him. Again, it's a natural outpouring of gratitude in response to what he has done for you. And whether you want to believe it or not, what you do with your money is a very significant part of that. Now, before I kind of go any farther here, I want to specifically address the men in the room, and especially the men that would sit here and call themselves Jesus followers. And I have something pretty exciting to tell you all right now. I think this is going to blow some minds. You ready? Okay. Pay attention. I was a man before I was a pastor. <laughs> That's big stuff, right? I, I, th I know. It's like, whoa, okay. But I think some of you guys forget that. Because sometimes I run into you guys in public, it's like the first time we've seen each other outside of this environment, and you look at me like, oh my gosh, he's real. Like, <laughs> you shop at the grocery store too? It's like, yeah, I eat. Like, this is a normal thing. Like, okay, it's like the first time that your kid sees their teacher outside of the classroom. They're like, oh my gosh, they don't just wind you up here during the school day and then put you back in a closet? This is incredible. And, and I hear, I hear some of the things that you say about me. I hear some of these things about the words that, that come out of my mouth. I hear you say those things like, he can tell me that crap on Sunday mornings, but in the real world, he can, he, he can fight for that stuff because he works for a church. But, but in my world, and then you continue on with that rant with your spouse. And, and guess what else? I have not been one of those lifelong ministry people. I worked in the business world. I worked in corporate America, and I'm not telling you that to brag because that's really not even braggable. I tell you that because I know what so frequently defines our worth, our value as a man. And this can certainly be a female thing as well, but in just my experience, it's more of a male thing. And we so often attach our value as men to our finances, to our careers, our jobs, our stuff, our money, our 401ks, our homes, the things that we fill our homes with. And in my experience, for men in particular, our financial resources are typically our last holdout. It's usually the last part of our lives that we are willing to surrender to our Savior. And as a pastor, I have had countless stories from men that when it finally all clicked, it wasn't a sermon it wasn't some reflection song where they were just like so moved. It wasn't a prayer. It was when you finally said, Heavenly Father, you can have all of me, including my, oh gosh. You can have all me, including my, oh, I need to think about this a little more. You can have all of me, including my money. 
You, you can really have access to everything. And you guys, until your heavenly father has access to your wallet, come on, you're playing a game. You know he does not have access to your heart. And if this is, this is an area that if we're not careful, we'll become hypocrites. And I don't think you want to become a hypocrite because you don't like hypocrites. Because you'll play this whole game, you'll give every once in a while, You'll be a 1.0 giver. There'll be something that emotionally will tug on your heartstrings. You'll hear a talk like this, and you'll convince yourself that you are that 2.0 giver, even though you're definitely not. And then some sort of financial bump will happen. There'll be an illness, a job loss, a diagnosis, a pay cut, a demotion. The car suddenly breaks down. Suddenly your teenage son or your teenage daughter is like, I ain't going to community college. I want to go to big, expensive, private college. And what do you do? If you're a Jesus follower, you start praying. You, you basically start asking God to bail you out. You say, God, please let her get the scholarship. God, please, 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 please let me get the promotion. God, please let me get the raise. God, please, please, please let me get a little bit more money. And you'll even start bargaining with God. You'll say, if you, I will do this. I will finally start putting money in that stupid, guilty-ridden bucket when it drives by me. I'm telling you, I'll start doing it. And what are we actually saying? We're saying, God, I'd like to invite you into the world of my personal finances. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't pray. But, but shouldn't that feel at least a little bit weird considering the fact that you have never made that part of your life accessible to God before? Now, now I'll be honest, this is admittedly easier for me because I am such a godly man. <laughs> no, talk to my wife, talk to my kids and the people that live with us and they will tell you that is certainly not the case. But I do recognize that I probably have a leg up on some of you because I was raised this way. This is something that has always been taught to me. This has always been a part of my life, this idea that when you get paid, the very first part of your paycheck, a percentage goes back to God. I saw my parents model this for me for my entire life. I saw my parents throughout my young life. I saw them give money that they could not afford to give time and time again, and I saw God come through time and time again. And so when it came time for me to finally start making my own money, this was just kind of expected. It was second nature to me. In fact, I'll be honest, it seems scarier for me to not give than it would be to give. But, but, but I do understand the internal struggle that some of you are having. And, and before you get all defensive about this, again, remember, God doesn't need your money. This church, because there are 25% of the people sitting in this room who faithfully give, this church does not need your money. But you you need to give your money. And for our last couple minutes that we have here together, I'm gonna to try to do everything that I can to, to convince the other 75% of you that call this place your church home to become a 2.0 giver. See, when it comes to human beings, we all, every single one of us, we prefer intervention over prevention. We see this in literally every part of life. Take our health, for instance. Uh, you get a little bit older, you start experiencing some health issues, you look down and you're like, where did, where did that thing come from? Okay, and what do you do? You run to the doctor. And you go visit the doctor and you're like, what do I got to do? I, I need to get healthier. I'm starting to experience these problems. And the doctor looks at you and he's like, okay, take notes. You need to start working out and you need to start eating healthier. And you're like, well, no, I don't, I don't want to do any of that actually. I want you to give me a pill. 
I, I want you to, to do some quick surgery. I, I want some quick fix. I don't want to prevent anything. I want you to intervene. We see this in marriage. We see this in relationships. We see this in our personal finances, in literally every area of life. Unfortunately, it's human nature to avoid prevention, which when you think about it is really quite foolish. And what's true of us in all these other areas of life is also true when it comes to our giving. We all prefer to give to solve a problem rather than prevent a problem. But, but which is better? Would you rather be cured of a disease or avoid the disease altogether? That's what I thought. Prevention is always better than intervention. But see, here's the problem. Intervention giving is emotional and the results are so measurable. Again, you use Compassion Sunday, for instance. This past Mother's Day, we partnered with this incredible organization called Compassion International, where it's a one-to-one -one sponsorship. We're meaning you sponsor one specific child, and for $38 a month, you can guarantee that that kid's gonna have fresh food on their plate. You can guarantee that they're gonna have access to clean drinking water, connection to a local school, and connection to a local church. For $38 a month, it's a pretty great deal. But, let's be honest, $38 over the course of that child's entire childhood, it certainly adds up. It's, it's not this tiny little amount of money, but because it is emotional, because we showed you videos, because we showed you those children's faces, you all went out there and you're like, I can't walk by this table. And you went and you signed up to sponsor these kids. It's also very measurable, right? You know exactly what those $38 a month are going to solve. You know the problems that are going to be taken care of as a result of your $38. See, prevention giving is neither, it's not emotional. It's in large cases not very measurable, but it is superior. And I'll tell you why it's superior. Because prevention giving prevents things. None of you wrote that down. Okay, no, here's what I mean. Systematic giving to an outward facing church is preventative. And when we say outward facing, we're looking for two things. One, it's for the community. It's not all about, hey, what can you do for us? Come through our doors, but how can we recklessly serve the community? How can we position ourselves in such a way that if Grumlaw was to ever close the doors, this community, even the people that are never gonna walk through our doors are going, please, no, Grumlaw, don't close. You have been doing so much good in this community. And it's also for the next generation. We're smart enough to know that if we only invest in the adults that are sitting in this room, that eventually, hopefully this isn't news to anyone, you are going to die. Father time is undefeated. And if we just rely on investing in all of you, then as you die, so the church dies. We are committed to investing in Grumlaw kids, into our student ministries, into impacting the next generation so that your children's 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 children are impacted as a result of what God is doing through this church. But what makes this type of giving so hard for people is that it's not emotional and its results for the most part are largely immeasurable, but it is preventative and is far superior. One of the things that I daydream about, and literally this is something that I like, I hope happens. I have told our staff this, I've told my wife this so many times before, that I hope that whenever my time comes and I go to see Jesus, whenever I die, whether that's tomorrow on the way home, or, or maybe it's like, you know, literally 50 years from now, I don't know how long I'm gonna live. But whenever that time comes, I hope that when I get to heaven, Jesus is like, sit down, buddy. And he pulls out this presentation, right? And he's like, hey, listen, I want to show you all of the good that Grumlaw did. And he flips to the first slide and he says, see all these couples right here? Every single one of these couples would have ended in divorce if it wasn't for their involvement in the local church. And he goes to the next slide and he says, see all these teenage girls right here? Every single one of them 
would have ended up pregnant if it wasn't for their involvement in your student ministries. See this page right here? See, see all these beautiful little smiling kids' faces? You didn't just impact their parents, you impact their children. You impacted generations. And he just keeps on going on and on and on and on about all the good that the local church did. He shows us all of the things that were prevented as a result of people's involvement here. Earlier in 2019, uh, a gentleman pulled me aside. He, he, he attends this church uh, after church. And he said, hey, this is long overdue. And he had a big smile on his face. And he just said, hey, I just wanted to personally thank you. Thank you for, for starting this church. And I said, ah, it's no problem. I mean, like, that's, that's great. You know, this is, it's our honor to do this. And he's like, no, you don't understand. When, when my wife and I first started showing up to this church, we were going to get a divorce. It, it was imminent. It was happening. We were having those conversations. We were talking about logistically how it was actually going to happen. And then we started showing up here and God started showing off in our lives. And because of how we served together and because we specifically got in a connect group together, our marriage was saved. And now it isn't just surviving. It's in fact thriving. It's better. Our relationship is healthier than it has ever been. You guys, you can't measure that. But, but I'm telling you, it's happening and it's happening all the time and it's happening because we exist as a church. It's happening in a lot of ways because of the faithful giving of 25% of the people sitting in this room. And I wanna invite the rest of you. I, I wanna invite the, the other Jesus followers in this room into this preventative, systematic 2.0 giving. Can, can you just dream with me for a second? Think about all that God has accomplished through this church over the first two years of our existence. It's pretty out of control. And he's done it with just 25% of you on board financially. Can you even imagine how he would use this church if every person who identifies as a Jesus follower got on board with this? And so here's my challenge to all of you and We've been teaching this since we opened our doors. I want to challenge you to live out your financial life in this manner. Give, save, live. That, that when you are paid, the very first thing that you do is you give a percentage away, you tuck away and you save a percentage, and then you live off the rest. Now, the percentages that I would recommend, it's about the only kind of thing we can point to from percentage-wise in Scripture, and it's what I've always been taught, would be that you give 10%, you save 10%, and then you live off of 80. 10, 10, 80. Now, I know that some of you, as, as I say that right now, you're like, yeah, right, I'm not giving 10%, you out of your mind. Okay, just pick a percentage then, pick a percentage. Whether it's five, five, you know, 90, whatever it is, but start giving a percentage away for the love. Start saving a percentage and then live off of the rest. And if you make this move, every single time we talk about money, I always give this challenge. If you're sitting here today and you're like, okay, I know that this is my next step. I know that I'm supposed to do this. And it's scary and I get that it's scary. And if you decide to, to move in this direction, you start to trust God truly with your finances. And, and for 90 days, you live this out. Give, save, live. 10, 10, 80, or whatever percentages that you choose. If at the end of those 90 days, you're like, I need it back. You swindled me. What is wrong with you? You tricked me again. I need it back. We are broke. Like, we, we need that money. You simply just have to email info at grumlaw.com. Give us your name and say, give us our money back. We will track every dollar and we will write you a check that day. We will give every penny back. You guys, we can't even imagine how God would use this church if all the Jesus followers got on board with this because it's literally never happened before. The world has never seen this before because people have such a hard time 
handing over control of their finances. Now, now last thing that I promise you, I'm gonna get off the stage. Uh, if you look at me, if you look at Grumlaw and you're like, again, you're sitting here today, you're like, okay, I can get on board with this whole give, save, live thing, but I don't trust you. I don't trust Grumlaw. I'm pretty sure that if we give this church more money, you're just gonna go spend it on more tattoos. There's something I don't like about this scrawny guy. <laughs> you're just like, no, I just don't trust you. I'm not against the giving thing. Just don't like you. I, I'm not trying to get people to leave this church, but honestly, if that's your thought process, please leave. Please go find a local church that you do trust. Go find a place that you will fully invest in. Go, go, go find a place where you will say, okay, I am comfortable allocating some of my financial resources here because you cannot afford to spend another season of your life fooling around with this because it's so central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And again, don't twist what I'm saying here today. This isn't about Grumlaw needing your money. It's way bigger than that. This is about you deciding to follow Jesus with 100% of you. And again, like it or not, that includes the resources that God has allowed you to steward during your relatively short amount of time here on earth. This is not about us. This is about responding to what has already come our way. So remember those words, for God so loved the world that he gave 10% of his only son? For God so loved the world that he gave a little bit of him? No, 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 for God so loved the world that he gave, freely gave his only child. He who did not withhold his own son. He who does not withhold anything from us. He who doesn't hold anything, hold anything close to the chest. Why would we withhold anything from him. If you're sitting here today and you call yourself a Jesus follower, giving is the appropriate response to God's gift to us. And, and I recognize that, that it's giving of our finances is certainly not the only way that we can give back to God. We're going to talk about the other ways as this series progresses. But y'all, the reason we're talking about this for an entire Sunday, but the, the reason that we're kind of making a big deal of this is because this type of preventative, consistent financial giving is often the most difficult area of any of our lives to finally hand over to God. And, and for American Jesus followers in particular, and unfortunately, I'm sad to say this, this is an area that most Jesus followers, that most professing Christians never hand over control of. And that weighs on me. I, I think it weighs heaven. It weighs heavily on our heavenly father's heart. And again, it's not because he needs our money, but he knows what is waiting for you on the other side of that. He wants you to experience that freedom and joy that comes when you finally say, God, I'm gonna give you everything. This right here is, is why I personally, why I like to give. Why it's not something that has to be conjured up, that has to be forced. Because it's our opportunity to join our heavenly father in what he is up to in the world because like it or not, God chose the local church as the hope of the world to spread his message to the ends of the earth. It's plan A and there is no plan B. So come up with a plan for how you plan to support your local church financially. And guess what? Even if you choose not to, that's okay we'll still be here for you because that is what we are called to do and that is what we love to do. This ain't about money. It's about access to your heart by your heavenly father and this might be the very thing that changes everything for you.